Welcome. This is season three of The Daily Market, where we've decided to do something a little special. Earlier this year, startup junkie and marketplace master Ty Wolf-Jones, hey Ty, approached me and pitched us the idea of instead of interviewing founders and marketers, why don't we dive into the world of marketplaces, the VH1 behind the music of marketplaces, or what is the making of the sausage of a marketplace? Ty could bring the operations point of view, and I could bring the marketing point of view, and we could make some marketplace magic, or maybe a little more like Marketplace Mayhem. So join us for the series where we've spoken to over a dozen marketplace leaders and pioneers from Uber, Convoy, Bellhop, DoorDash, Rover, but also some rising stars and marketplaces from multiple countries, venture capitalists, and more. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Ladies and gentlemen, who is Brian Marcus? Brian is a thought leader in affiliate and partner marketing and has been at some of the largest brands, Google and eBay, just to name a couple. Although he currently is senior director of product growth at impact.com, he's had a career of bringing performance marketing chops to every brand he's joined. Over the course of 10 years, Brian has built entire marketing programs, led teams who manage more than a thousand advertiser affiliate programs, authored The Ultimate Guide to Partner Marketing, check it out, and was named one of Performance Sin's top 50 most influential performance marketing leaders of 2020. This conversation was super interesting. I love Brian. Brian dug deep into digital marketplaces, specifically the one that Impact is building, and how there's really so much open green territory in the affiliate marketing universe right here. You can also tell that he enjoys teaching and has taught before by the way he patiently tells stories and provides explanations. So I think you're really going to like this conversation. Yeah, I learned a lot. You know, I think if you want to learn anything about uh, digital marketplaces and online marketplaces, Brian is definitely a fount of knowledge. So join us. We dive deep into the digital marketplace being built at impact.com. Getting brands, you know, who are the demand side of the marketplace to join a marketplace first. The evolution of the affiliation space and what, you know, how he's leading the forefront there, creating more supply to balance the supply demand dynamics of a digital marketplace and a whole lot more. I think this episode is particularly valuable for those that are interested in this space. But I think it's also more important to realize that almost all startups use digital marketplaces, ad marketplaces, et cetera. And so I think any founder, any online world learning what Brian talks about here, it's going to be valuable to you, especially if you want to learn how to use leverage more than just the two big giants in the online ad space, which is obviously Google and Facebook ads. Learn how to use other types of marketing and other types of digital marketplaces to your favor and get incredible CPAs and CBR. So please enjoy. I think you will. You'll learn something great. Obviously, you can like and subscribe if you want to. But as we always ask, please leave us a review. Tell us what you think. Tell us what questions you have. Tell us what you love, what you hate, etc. You can also find show notes. We have those at our website at jacobkubica.com. That's J-A-K-U-B. K-U-B-I-C-K-A dot com. Have fun. Enjoy. 
Mayhem on, Ty. Mayhem on. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show. Jacob, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. Welcome. Welcome, Ty. Brian, last season we called you the, uh, the Yoda of affiliate marketing. So welcome back, Yoda. I thought we'd start with a easy icebreaker, which is, Brian, what do you, what do you, what do you love about music? I, I, I know music is something that flows or has momentum throughout your whole life. Maybe the better question is, how does music flow through your life? Sure. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to address that. Uh, and I'd love to thank you once again for calling me Yoda. Um, I, I take that as a compliment, not of my age, but my wisdom. Um, <laughs> back to the music question. Well, you know, a couple things. Number one, I, I, I look at music as a pure escape. And I, and I happen to be like one of these people that during the day, you'd know me as sort of a, a business professional, but at night I like to sort of, you know, I have this the, a creative side of me. So I like to write and um, and writing is one of these things. I'd like to write, but I can't play music and I admire musicians. I actually married a musician, huh. uh, a songwriter. And music is one of the things that brings me closer to my wife. She she sings and she uh, she records and she's a songwriter herself. And it's a hobby. It's like one of the few hobbies I have is trying to write songs. Uh, I don't have the musical talent, but when I'm paired up with her, um, I can, I can, I can write stuff and, and she could turn it into music. So it's one of these things that I think just really connects me to a different world and connects me at home, keeps me grounded, helps me get some release from, from the day to day and, uh, takes me, takes me elsewhere. So it's always been something I loved and I, and I can't, I wish I had probably taken some time to become a, a good musician, but, um, I think I've taken more of a hobby of just knowing more about music and being part of music and understanding sort of the metadata about music. How did you start to get involved in the process of writing music? That seems like that's something you, you still do. Is that something that happened from collaborating with, with your wife and, and hearing about how she started writing music? You know, she, she did not start writing music, actually, until, we, uh, until probably later, uh, second decade uh, of our marriage. And so I'd, I'd say she's always been musical. Uh, and she's always been able to, she's always been a singer. Um, but I think as she uh, grew in her musical capabilities, she started songwriting. And I think it was really attractive to me because I, I actually love to write. And I think that I did not really know I had it in me until uh, I started watching her write. And then I started actually, I think what you'd call what I write probably more lyrics or poetry, so to speak. But mm -hmm. I think it's been a great collaboration seeing what I can do in terms of being able to articulate something. I've always been a writer, a marketer, being able to put things into words and communicate. Mm -hmm. And and I love like sort of being able to hand that over to someone who's got the capability of of capturing the emotion and the mm -hmm. and sort of the uh, the dim other dimensions of the writing and be able to turn it into something different. So we've been doing that actually together this year during the pandemic. We actually wrote an album together. It was the first time I've ever really written wow. with her. Nice. And so we're we're actually working on on something as we speak, and it's it's one of the few hobbies I have outside of uh, work and being a, a parent that just is 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 my own, and I can sort of disappear and go write, go put my thoughts into uh, articulate those, and and be able to turn it into art. So it's pretty fun. Very cool. And I know your son also makes music as well. Is that right? My whole family, I have two boys and they're both musical. Um, my oldest son uh, is uh, genetic. Is, has, 
Yeah, it is genetic, and uh, they they probably picked up the talent of music from her and the ability to. <laughs> no, they picked up all the talent from her. But uh, <laughs> both my kids play multiple instruments. Oh, wow. uh, I found out actually, my oldest, who's uh, now away at college, actually, I found out he's got a great voice as well. He's been uh, nice. sort of holding that back from us for a while. So the only out outlier in the family is me, and so I stay connected through writing, and I think that's oh, yeah. how. That's there how I go. participate. It's a good family activity, though, because we do everything around music. You know, uh, my wife and I went to uh, Red Rocks this summer for the first time. And uh, that's been sort of a bucket list item for us uh, to go see a show out there in Colorado. And it was well worth the wait. We, we missed our, we missed the show during COVID and was able to pick it back up when things opened up briefly. Uh, and the world got slightly better. Yeah, a little bit better. Such an amazing venue. It yeah, is. It, it was that's magical. Awesome. And what's the process to write music? I've always been curious. What's the process to write music? Well, for me, I typically, um, um, I'll tell you, I, I think it has to do with knowing when to just, knowing when you can't put it into words uh, at that moment and being able just to to sort of lay out sort of how you're feeling in a in a way that you just can't articulate through words. So I always find that if I'm, really happy or really sad or really excited i sometimes can't actually express it through through like real time words i can actually mm. sit down and put it down on paper and and use that as a way to sort of fine tune what i want to say and i think that's what writing is really good for me is it allows me to come back to it and and really make sure that what i'm trying to say is conveyed so mm. i i'm actually one of those guys that like at a surprise party if i was surprised i probably would not know what to say and could not say the words possibly that I was feeling. So I think writing is a way for me to be thoughtful about it and to to sit down and sort of think it through. It's like a side door entrance into expression. Yeah, it, it is. And I, and I think one of the things I like about writing is I could put down a few thoughts. Uh, I can actually put down a few words in a, in a, in like in a moment, I can come back to them like, you know, an hour later and just, I continue to sort of refine it mm -hmm. until I could work on a song for, you know, a good couple of weeks and, and find something to do with it. Like every time I look at it until, until I know it's done. And then, then I usually hand it over and say, could you, could you apply some music towards it? Not every one of my songs are very good. Um, but I think the ones that we worked on, we've been working by 18 months wow. on this, on this album. And uh, I think we've really worked together on refining sort of the best of both our talents. But enough about music. My God, who wants music's to listen? great? Love who music. wants to listen to it's all? It's a great this process, stuff? though. I, I like I like how you go through the process. That's that's a powerful part to it. I, I think some are very inspirational, come out, or you feel like they must. That must have just came out. But I think they're to your point. A lot of them more need that process to to make them to refine them to make them right. I like it. You know, you know music is one of these things that for me is like. It's like a history. I can I can actually like I think about all the places I was when music was playing or what I what oh, I yeah, was, sure. you know and I, I associate things to music. I associate my favorite shows or you know favorite moments. Um, I can think of all like I think of it in terms of that. So I don't know why, but it's just it's one of those defining sort of things that takes me outside of you know who can talk about affiliate and partner marketing. 24 hours a day you need you need you need to balance out your life a little bit with with some stuff that go see shows be social be around other people yeah. learn yeah. new things i guess one last thing about writing music i read this 
Rolling Stones interview with Sia, and she talked about how because she used to write or be a, a singer with that with that band Sub Zero, and then she was talking about how when she was younger she had a really hard time writing music because she felt like she was just trying too hard to make it emotional or sound a certain way, and she just felt like she was just cheesy. And then she said lately, the past few years, it's 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 actually pretty effortless to do it, and less words is actually more powerful. It's almost as if all of that effort in the first 10 or 15 years like compounded itself to the level of subject matter expertise to be able to do it so quickly and easily now. And and it's it's only her success being a signal of, of it working, right? Yeah, you, you, that, that's really that is that is an interesting process. I, I understand that. I, I was just thinking as you were talking, one of the things that I think ties music to the topic probably we're going to be talking about today i'm guessing it's something like marketplaces or something like that i don't want to i don't want to be a a show spoiler (laughs) but one of the things that i love about music and you'll you can come back to this we can make this a point to come back to but i love the fact that you can always discover new music Mm. you can always you can it is like an endless it is always being created Mm -hmm. it there's a lot of it and there's there's it's like one of these things that like it's fun for me to discover new music, um, even sort of, you know, I may not be the hippest music person these days, but I, I still take input from my kids. I listen mm-hmm. to their music and I love it when people bring me new music. Uh, I, I don't always stick to it, but it usually leads me down paths that uh, bring up new music, uh, even like finding the the relationships between music. And I think mm-hmm. something that I think is really interesting in, in the world of sort of a good marketplace is discovery, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I know you haven't even asked me the question, but I'm just really thinking about like, there is a tie here. And I think the tie for me is how it's just like an endless stream for me of, of something new. And it's always can be served up and I can always find new stuff based on the stuff I like. And that's what a good marketplace should actually help you find. How about that? Amen. I like that. I like it. It also makes me think about when you were talking about the... Um, <clears throat> There's always new music and there's a lot of music being made. I think one of the interesting reasons is there's a, there's new technologies, right, to make music these days. It's it's easier in a lot of ways. There's more access, right, to things that that back in the day you would have had to have an instrument and then know somebody who probably played it and know someone who was really good to get anywhere. And today, it's with technology, it's everywhere. Back to your point around a great marketplace, a great, a great, a great, our, our, our access to music these days is crazy. I mean, we have so much new music coming out and we have access to it from everything from they, Spotify to SoundCloud to, you know, you know, anything, you know, virtual yeah, concerts, they, et cetera. The creators and the listeners, mm-hmm. you're, mm-hmm. there's your natural, like, I mean, people can like, like, like my wife, I mean, she can actually, there's tools now to help her create and upload mm. and distribute and and, mm. and the whole nine yards and there's ways for me to, to find her needle in a haystack i can find new artists and i have sure. to sit, listen to the same old you know sometimes i look at my collection i'm like man i really need to find something new to listen to because i'm stuck in this little loop of the same old stuff and then a good marketplace actually helps you sort of take what you know what you love and your preferences and all your different characteristics that make you you and find new things and help you connect with that other new artist that's coming out or or new sound that's coming out so i think there's a tie there i think there's i think it's i think they go together well it's very nice yeah and i guess something i really like about impact is that 
the world, the ecosystem of potential affiliates and potential brands that could be matched up is at this point, it's, it seems endless, you know, that there's, there's no way that every single brand is on a platform, a SaaS platform like impact. And there's definitely not every single publisher is even aware of, of something like partner marketing, uh, as, as a channel. So Brian, I guess, what is an affiliate? What is an affiliate? Uh, we're going to start yes. there. All right, let's yeah. start with that. Well, I, I, an affiliate, I think, traditionally defined as a, um, it's typically, it used to be a website, could be a property, could be a, a, a mobile app owner that actually has an audience and wants to monetize that audience. Uh, they typically monetize that audience by getting b- brands to advertise on it. And they typically send traffic to those brands. And they get paid for sending new users to those brands um, on a performance basis. They get paid if somebody buys something from their audience or if somebody registers for a service or if somebody uh, downloads a, a white paper or, or a, 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 a book or, or what have you. So an affiliate is really, um, is really a, it's a property. It's a website. And it's, and it's, it's a way for people who are looking to find new customers can find new customers through new audiences in a way to match that up. So affiliate marketing is just taking the, taking the brands that are looking to advertise and those that are looking to monetize and, and matching them up together in a way that that works for them and works for the, the risk level that the, the amount of money they're willing to pay and the amount of risk that they're willing to bear in sending in, in acquiring traffic. Okay. That just, I confused you probably more than helped you on that one. No, I, I think I think that's a good story. Well, and and what's the difference between an affiliate and a partner? So an affiliate is a type of partner. So an affiliate uh, is a part is a partner that like basically professionally does owns that business model. Like they are they are they are used to taking their audience and being able to essentially package it up for brands. Uh, on a performance basis, I, I say that as different from, say, an influencer who may be mm. also working on a performance basis, but isn't a professional coupon site or a professional loyalty site like a Rakuten, mm. or they're not in the business of actually doing uh, monetization, but they use monetization. You, you, you wouldn't want to call an influencer an affiliate. In fact, some of the affiliates may be even offended to call them an affiliate themselves, but I think everybody's a partner. Everybody's a partner, and it depends on sort of how uh, steep they are in the practice of monetizing their website for performance basis. You know, that's kind of how I look at it. And so businesses can use other businesses, for example, as partners. Adver- mm-hmm. Brands can use other brands to uh, to be able to drive business. I wouldn't call them affiliates, but they still use, they're still partners, partners and they can right. still use performance-based pricing to, to make that happen. So I, I look at it like a big umbrella, mm-hmm. and I think there's many types of partners, one of which I think has made sort of the performance world big, and that's the affiliate marketers um, who have really really evolved over the years in, in how they monetize. And what's an example of monetizing website for uh, for a performance basis? And, and maybe that even could be, say, an influencer monetizing their their handle 
for a performance basis? Well, if, if you're an influencer, for example, and you have a built-in audience of people that, that listen to what you have to say and are influenced by what you, what you buy and with the types of products you, uh, that you believe in, you can use that, that platform, your audience, that YouTube platform, that Instagram platform to actually promote a product. And, and that product, that brand that owns that product could actually set up a, a, a structure, a payout structure, a commission that says, if you, you know, if you tweet this, or if you, uh, if you put it on your Instagram as a post, or you do different things, we can pay you as we see, um, sales come from that link. So you could post a link. That link has a unique set of parameters as that link gets clicked on, uh, tapped or what have you, as those sales come in, um, you can attribute that exact sale back to that influencer. And that's what makes it an affiliate transaction. That's what makes it a performance transaction, sorry. And they would get paid typically in two different ways, which is cost per acquisition, say, let me just say cost per customer that was driven from that post, or it's called rev share, right? Revenue share, they might get a percentage, say 10% of the revenue from subscriptions or purchases. Is that right? Yep. And it could be a combination of both. For example, you can acquire a customer and then you can give, um, you can give commissions based on from that customer, different types of actions that happen. Once they become a customer, you can take percentage of sale as well. So you could land the customer and then expand the customer through affiliate marketing. Um, and, and both models apply. Okay, great. And, and, and the affiliate marketing network ecosystem where there's the publisher, the brand, the customer, of course. There's also something called the affiliate network. So I guess, is is Impact a, an affiliate network? Yeah, I, I think in the world of uh, of affiliate parlance, we wouldn't consider ourselves a network. I mean, I think of, we think of ourselves more of a marketplace because networks have a connotation, say, back in the day of affiliates as um, you have both sides but you're actually an advertising network, so to speak. It's a performance-based advertising network and you take a percentage of that sale versus where I think Impact endeavors to be more of a technology that it is a technology, it's a platform that brings together the audiences, yet the um, sort of the value is in bringing those audiences together versus the transaction value itself. Like the actual value that they charge for is the use of the software, the SaaS sales. Mm -hmm. And the, the... the more successful we are at bringing partners together, that builds our ability to get more people to subscribe to our software as opposed to uh, banking on a model of pure trans- taking a piece of a transaction. So so we are looking to um, to let our users be as successful as they can and not get in their way, uh, not become a larger expense. And, and in fact, yeah. our success comes from being able to provide sort of all steps along the way helping them do things, providing services, sometimes additional services that they need, um, and then providing them tools and data to be able to, to transact and to be able to find partnerships better. So it, it is a, I call it an evolution of what an affiliate mm-hmm. network did. I think a lot of affiliate networks tended to serve themselves. Um, we, we, want to, we want to be a place that all networks and all advertisers and all agencies can be able to work upon and they can work with other networks. They can work with other other types of networks. So it's it's in effect not just serving impact by taking a transaction fee, uh, a rev share, but it's actually getting the world that needs to come together to come together, and the right incentives for them to work together. 
without us getting in the middle. Right. Excellent. So, so there's a balance of accountability going on there. You mentioned that the more successful impact is in bringing brands and publishers together, the better. So is impact doubling down on enabling that marketplace? Is that, is that something that's, that's, uh, that has been in the works or is going to be in the works? I think the idea in, in the goal is to uh, is to build partnerships, like build, helping brands and publishers build the best partnerships. And I think in order to do so, you need the infrastructure, the correct infrastructure, sort of soup to nuts to be able to help people not only find the right publishers and brands on both sides, but be able to make that contracting process, uh, the, the matchmaking and the contracting process pretty seamless, uh, help help the brands and the publishers exchange uh, ad creative, ad trafficking, uh, link trafficking, making sure that all the necessary plumbing is in place to be able to track and attribute sales back to to the relationships. And so enabling that relationship is really the the core purpose of that of the 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 partnership cloud, which is our platform. And um, being able to then load as many different types of brands and publishers on each side is just, it's, it's the way that we help fulfill that promise of being able to help brands and publishers become most successful. We have to have the best selection of brands and the best selection of publishers so that we can enable as many partnerships as possible and uh, give brands a chance to find audiences that they wouldn't necessarily find on their own and give publishers a chance to find brands to be able to fill out their their web pages or their apps with things that are good for their audiences. So in order to do that, you have to build a system, an ecosystem essentially that gives both parties and in fact, agencies as a third party an ability to serve each other. And that's what the, the platform is, is really built to do. This actually reminds me, yeah, go ahead, Ty. I was gonna jump in because I mean, this, it sounds a little bit like that in and of itself, having, you know, one partner being able to create value for the others, but you needing them both there sounds a little bit like the classic chicken and the egg problem. I'm curious how you guys thought about that as you were building this um, and, or, and, or are thinking about that. Like, do you get those brands first? Do you get those publishers first? How, How did you guys think about that? Or how are you thinking about that? Well, I think I'll speak generally in in affiliate marketing, you need the brands to attract the publishers. But then I think over time, it kind of does the flip. It's the sort of the network effect of of bringing on, you need the demand in this case, you need the right uh, marquee client or the right uh, name to attract, um, to attract certain types of publishers to, uh, to, to the world of affiliate marketing. So when, when a big brand steps in, or when a new type of brand steps in, a new type of, let's call it safe, going from sort of uh, B2C to B2B brands, when those mm-hmm. things change, all of a sudden it becomes a signal to supply to find new opportunities to work. So I think in, in the case of, I call it most of uh, most of the affiliate networks um, that I've seen, it's it started with great brands attracting supply. Mm-hmm. So building out the brands first, uh, but very quickly, you find um, that brands have this insatiable desire, the the demand side for 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 growth, right? I mean, these guys mm-hmm, want mm-hmm. more and more, and so building out the supply side means that we need to sort of first make sure there are those offers to promote, and that's what the brands do. And then, when, with enough enough of that and uh, enough momentum behind that, you attract enough supply to be able to 
match those offers with the right audience. And then uh, the reverse happens. I think in some cases, supply becomes, over time, in the case of affiliate, supply becomes um, powerful. And supply, supply is able to attract, um, you know, being able to, to build up some of these, these affiliates from their early beginnings, maybe in the basement to very, mm-hmm. you know, guys in a basement to, to very large entities now that, um, where they can call the shots. I mean, I think, you know, you see some of the network effects going the other way as well as mm. it's like market power, right? Who's got the market power at the time. And in this case, it's probably like the real estate market as well, supply and demand in the real estate market. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think I think um, brands <clears throat> typically were the ones that had the money to go on acquisition sprees and go find new partners, and they had the budgets. And so you needed those guys to be able to to pay publishers. And then once you got that signal going, we we were able to attract enough publishers that it goes back the other way. You know, you, you, you could see it on both sides sort of reinforcing each other. Um, well, in I don't those think early he, days when you need that marquee brand, how are you, you know, how, how did, how did you guys, or how, how have you in the past thought about getting that marquee brand? Can, can you subsidize them? I mean, there's this concept in, in like the Uber of type marketplaces where they'll just, they'll pay for one side or the other, right? They'll subsidize them a bit, but these guys, like you're saying, they have a cachet. They have, they're, they're the powerhouse here. They're bringing all the value. How do you get them or how did you get them to join up uh, first and, and try your marketplace? Well, I think I think it's about the appeal of the technology and the appeal of the freedom, nice. and and um, I think brands uh, were primed. I mean, I worked at a company called Google Affiliate Network back in the day, where uh, Google was running Little an affiliate company. network, <laughs> and uh, and when they when they 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 happened to house quite a bit of um, really marquee brands, and at the time that um, uh, close to the time that I, I uh, around the time I left Google, they actually shut down that network, and that was a network model. And it was all about, you know, percentage of sale. They would take a piece of the action. GAN would take a piece of the action. And it was all in one agency and network. So you couldn't unbundle the services. And you had to sort of work with the, that the network itself did all the all the um, agency work for you. They did all the payment for you. They provided all the infrastructure. Um, there was a, a real strong inflection point in affiliate marketing where, um, once people started to know all the costs and all the became experts at doing it and understand the tools, they started to want more control and they wanted to be able to run their own programs. And I think um, Impact saw that that opportunity uh, as uh, a number of them were founders of affiliate networks themselves. And they saw an opportunity to build out the tool set and be able to, as you say, subsidize perhaps lower the uh, the cost of entering this market by just providing the tools and letting people build their own networks. So I think they built up very quickly with large brands, the opportunity of those that had heavily resourced affiliate programs, knew the tools, knew the partners, didn't need a network to go introduce them to it. They just could do it themselves. They were able to convince uh, a number of great brands who say left the Google affiliate network to go join and run their own programs and build out their own tools on impact. So I'd say it was good timing. It was great thinking about sort of what brands need. And you had a group of people who already knew a lot by, by, by creating other affiliate networks, they knew sort of what that, that important value add would be. And that is to give them the tools to build their own partnerships 
and then help them become successful with those partnerships. So I think that's why in Impact's case, it was really very much driven initially by the demand side. They had great brands that wanted to build their own programs, wanted their own tool sets, wanted the data, and and wanted to be able to make that happen on their own. And they didn't need a network or to pay the network those fees that they charged because they could do it themselves. They had those relationships, right? It sounds like they were almost paying fees for, like you said, things they could do themselves. They, they didn't need to pay these fees because they didn't need those things. Impact allowed them to have a marketplace and then get out of the way. You said that earlier on. Part of the value was getting out of their way, um, providing the tools and then getting out of their way. Yeah, Impact gave them the ability to work as they wanted to. They could work with agencies or without agencies. Agencies could could operate on the platform and they built their own networks. So they didn't need an affiliate network to do so. They could actually go directly to a publisher that they've been working with and saying, let's build it off, off of this technology, which was sort of a white-labeled their program was a white label version of sort of the impact technology. So they were able in, in many ways to sort of disintermediate a number of those networks because people already had existing relationships. The value that an affiliate network you know, at that time provided was to matchmake it, it initially to bring mm-hmm. those parties together. But when those, those relationships became mature, it became less of a value add for an affiliate network to be able to keep servicing that relationship when in fact... Mm-hmm. Um, someone like a large retailer could actually, who has these relationships, could do it themselves. And sure. if they had all the tools themselves to do it, to to create contracts, to be able to uh, pay partners, to be able to report and optimize, they didn't need an affiliate network to do that. And I think that was the aha moment of that of that world was to uh, build the tool set and attract the brands in that fashion. Would you say in that type of a marketplace that needed the maturity of the brands? I mean, it sounds like they're more sophisticated than they were 30 years ago when affiliate marketing was just coming out. This whole thing was new. We were doing banner ads and trying to figure out how to make money on the internet, right? So it it almost needed, it's taking advantage of, but it also almost needed that sophistication level to be there, right? I think that's exactly right. I think um, in this, so uh, a great book written by a guy named Bob Glazer, Robert Glazer, Performance Partnerships, sort of outlines the different evolution of the affiliate space. And I think think it is exactly the maturity and the, the maturity of number one, the group of publishers that existed, the supply side was at the time pretty limited to affiliates. They were the coupon the loyalty and essentially coupon loyalty really was like the big fast majority of supply out there. And once brands started to get to know those guys, it was like an 80-20 sort of rule where you knew the the big guys driving most of the volume. You don't need a network to introduce you to those guys year after year after year and pay them a fee every time you do a transaction. So I think the very sophisticated marketers, and you know, back when I was at eBay, that eBay was one of the first companies to actually create their own network using their own technology, similar to probably how Impact was thinking about the world, is people are going to start to pull themselves out of the advertising network model and build their own network technology and, uh, and create their own relationships where they can cut out the middleman. And so I think um, sophisticated marketers had the relationships. They understood the strategies. In some cases, didn't need an agency to do so. And they could immediately go to work with these publishers if they had the tracking technology and they had the reporting technology and the, the payment technology. So, But I think that changes 
when the supply changes or when the demand changes, right? So in the case of what grew out of affiliate marketing into partner marketing is people needed new ways to grow and they needed new sources of supply, new websites, new publishers. And it had to go beyond sort of the big two or three types of partners had to go beyond loyalty and coupon publishers into all of a sudden content publishers Mm. like, like uh, Buzz, Buzzfeed and, uh, you know, Wirecutter, things like that, where content started to become a commerce tool. We needed to find the, the, the digital media partners and we needed to, we needed again, tools to discover those types of partners. So I think, the world of evolving world of a marketplace and a place like impact is helping again to create discovery and to be mm-hmm. able to uh, help people beyond their core set of partners grow and then to discover new ways of partnering that they hadn't thought about before. So brand to brand, more business development. You think about like uh, a brand that can help another brand and work out a contract and pay them on a performance basis. You need tracking technology and you need uh, ability to pay. And you need those types of things, same competencies that, uh, say, a platform like Impact could provide. So I, I think the evolution of more supply, more demand and more supply is, is kind of playing out right now. We're seeing influencers as a new form of uh, publisher, uh, a growing form of publisher that needs that need more sophistication in their tools sets, more sophisticated, uh, more sophistication in their deal structure. And as that stuff becomes more commoditized, and as it becomes more standard, then the affiliate model will, will make, you know, we're going to be finding the next next big group of right. publishers. So right. I think it's all about how... And, and the next big set of like tools or or new new content that they're going to need, et cetera. So it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't sound like there's a lot of this traditional supply and demand issues if you're just a tool set in the marketplace in the middle, because if one of the sides, you know, to your, to your comment earlier, is the one that has the power, is the one that has the the momentum, the demand side initially, the brands are, are have that, you need that marquee brand, but then later the publishers become the powerhouse. When you're something like an impact, a digital marketplace in the middle, developing the tools and the and the and the the white labeled you know features that everyone needs, you're just flexing with where the marketplace goes. Is that right? That's you have to you have to be able to be where the marketplace is going to be, and that's why we've built out tool sets for we've built out like very sophisticated tool sets for the advertiser over the last decade plus, and that's been the large focus is being sort of really focusing on how to help a brand optimize their program. But at the same time, realizing that that balance has to to take place on the publisher side. And recently we purchased a company called Trackonomics, who is really about publisher tools. And on the agency side, where you need to have the ability for agencies to be able to work across multiple networks and be able to look at the world sort of as a single entity from themselves and, and how they manage. So all those parts, you have to be able to have the best tools across an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And that ecosystem becomes sort of the, the, the market. It's a mar- marketplace model, in effect, is bringing those parties together and helping them transact with each other and helping them meet and then helping them be successful on each side. Hey, hey, wasn't that awesome? Hope you're enjoying it so far. Yeah, and you better get ready because we didn't end the conversation there. So stay tuned for part two of this striking conversation. More mayhem coming. 